Let's open our Bibles, please, to the book of Habakkuk. The book of Habakkuk. We've been teaching on Sunday nights and Wednesday nights through the minor prophets. We taught Hosea, Joel, Amos, Obadiah, Jonah, Micah, and Nahum, and now we're in Habakkuk. We'll go right on through the uh, minor prophets in our studies. And uh, so we'll pick up there tonight. Just have a little bit of introduction, get into the meat of the lesson that we have in this little this small book. Actually, Habakkuk means to embrace with affection. To embrace with affection. And so you can see as we begin our study in this little book that he does have much affection because he begins it with prayer for uh, and a burden of prayer for uh, Israel and Judah and for the fact that uh, they're being judged and punished by a wicked nation more wicked than they. And they had their sins and shortcomings that God used uh, the Chaldeans, or Babylonians if you want to put it that way, the Chaldeans to, to punish them and to be an instrument, a servant, in God's hands to chasten His own people. And you know, God has done that many times before in the Old Testament. And uh, we wonder today if He may not do the same thing uh, to chasten His children and correct us during this day and age. So we take it chapter by chapter and verse by verse and try to glean as much as we can out of the whole uh, small book that we have give you somewhat a division now and then of the chapters and verses. But the whole book describes three things, if you would like this. The Chaldean invasion of Judah, that's number one. And the second, the doom of the Chaldeans. See, they invade, invade Judah and God uses them as an instrument of judgment or chastening for Judah. And then the doom of the Chaldeans, uh, all that they have done wrong, finally comes back to them. So it's still true that whatsoever a man soweth, that shall he also reap. And then another important uh, thing, the third thing you find in this book, is that the just shall live by faith. The just shall live by faith. And when we get to that point, it's in chapter 2, verse 4. When we get to that point, we'll find that the Apostle Paul in the New Testament quotes that statement three times. He quotes, the just shall live by faith in Romans 1, verse 17, and also Galatians 3, 11, and Hebrews 10, 38. And each one, he emphasizes when we get, and I may get ahead of myself, he emphasizes a different aspect of the just shall live by faith. First, he says the just, and the emphasis on the word just, shall live by faith. And then he says the just shall live, live by faith. And then, in Hebrews 10.38, the just shall live by faith. So he picks a different word each time of emphasis on uh, this quotation from Habakkuk chapter 2, verse 4. And by the way, since I'm already talking about it, I must mention that this was the uh, theme of Luther when he came out of, the, of Catholicism. He said, the just shall live by faith. When he found himself uh, climbing up the stairs on his knees, uh, trying to do penance for his sins, and saying, what in the world am I doing this for? I've had enough study of the Bible that it says, the just shall live by faith. And why am I doing this if the just shall live by faith? And that was the theme of Reformation uh, with Martin Luther. 
So when we get to that, we will turn to those verses and expound them, if you would like to do that. Uh, But meanwhile, we will take it verse by verse in this chapter and make sure that we're getting as much as we can out of it. Now, when we look at this first chapter, uh, verses 1 through 11, you'll have Habakkuk's complaint of God's indifference to sin. Verses 1 through 11. His, and and another, one more point about that. But his complaint of God's indifference to sin. And then Jehovah's reply is that the Chaldeans, uh, the Chaldeans was an instrument he would use to correct Judah. And you'll find that in the first chapter. And no wonder the prophet is complaining. He has a burden upon his heart. And in our introduction in chapter 1, verses 1 through 4 at least, we'll find that there's introduction and prayer and, and uh, for the dispersed Israel. He prays for Israel that's dispersed. When it says the burden which Habakkuk the prophet did see, let's stop there and talk about the burden. The burden uh, here, the word burden, means a heavy, weighty, or emotionally grievous thing to bear. A heavy or weighty or grievous thing, emotionally grievous thing to bear. And you know, all the old prophets, uh, minor prophets as well as the major prophets, had the burden of the Word of the Lord. There was a burden. And uh, uh, sometimes it was a burden in the sense of Habakkuk here of feeling for Israel and for Judah especially for the the fact that they had brought this chastening rod upon them because of their sins, but still he was burdened because it seemed that the one that God was using had more ungodliness themselves uh, to answer for, and yet God was using an ungodly and unholy uh, people to bring chastening to His own. And sometimes that's a, a problem with God's prophets and God's preachers. And so the burden is what he felt personally for Judah to bear and to endure, and as well as what he felt that he had to do to lay upon the people by prophecy this unwelcome and unappreciated message. Usually a message of chastening that God brings upon His people is a message that's unwelcome and it's unappreciated. You know, when the preacher gets up and says, you know, God's going to do this because we're not doing right. Well, uh, we, we don't like to be told we're not doing right and what God's going to do because of that. We don't like to face the consequences of our actions and our uh, deeds. And yet, uh, it's a burden that the, the prophet had to, to uh, lay upon them and, say, and tell them that that's why it was coming. And yet, he prayed for them in the midst of all this. An unwelcome and unappreciated message as a message of chastisement usually is, whether it be to a person or to a church, to a city or to a nation. And we could apply it all over the whole spectrum today, couldn't we? The persons that we have to face. The burden of this chastening of God that comes. And we'll just use Judah here for a moment to try to make an application of it. And then we apply it to a wicked city and to a wicked nation. Or even a church that's departed from God. Remember 
the churches over in Revelation that Jesus had to rebuke for many things that they had failed in. He says, you're lukewarm. You've left your first love. And so on and so forth. So we find that when that kind of message comes, that it's usually a message that the preacher has to grit his teeth and bear and, and go ahead and tell the people what it's all about, regardless of whether it's appreciated or uh, disliked, unwelcome, and this kind of message that comes. You know, Paul told Timothy, he said, Preach the word, be instant in season, out of season. Reprove, rebuke, and exhort. What did he say? Reprove and rebuke. But he said, exhort with all long suffering and doctrine. And so that's Second Timothy chapter 4 if you want the place, I believe. Alright, so when we're thinking about this, let's think about the burden of which Habakkuk the prophet did see. And then what, what was his burden and what was his cry in his prayer for dispersed Israel and for the situation that they were in? What was his complaint to God about God's indifference to uh, sin, the sin of, of the uh, Chaldeans is what he was referring to. Even though he was burdened about Judah, he still was concerned about the fact that God was was letting the wicked nation get by with more and yet using that wicked nation to to chase his own people. And it seemed to be unjust in the mind of Habakkuk. So let's look at it. The burden which Habakkuk the prophet did see. And he says, O Lord, how long shall I cry and thou wilt not hear? Even cry out unto thee of, uh, of uh, violence and thou wilt not save. Look at that word, how long. This is a direct address of Habakkuk to the Lord. He says, God, how long? And we all come up with this uh, verse sometimes, or these, these words, how long? We wonder how long God will put up with some of the things that He does in our nation and in, in churches around the land. You know, many churches have departed from the faith, departed from preaching the Word. And uh, it's, it's a sad thing to, to think that nowadays they preach everything but what God's Word has to say. And yet it's all over the country. And when you uh, do, do hear uh, someone attempt to really rightly divide the Word of Truth, usually it doesn't last too long because it gets on everybody under everybody's skin, doesn't it? So, here is a direct address to God from Habakkuk the prophet. In verse 2, and he says, How long shall I cry and thou wilt not hear? He seemed as if the heavens were brass. Even cry out unto thee of violence and thou wilt not save. And then verse 3, he shows the lament and complaint to the Lord for his delay. He, He complains about this delay. Why, he says, dost thou show me iniquity and cause me to hold grievance for spoiling and violence are before me and there are that raise up strife and contention. He lays it all open before the Lord. And then in in verse uh, 4 he concludes his complaint. And then we'll see what God has to say about it. What Jehovah God has to say about it. In verse 4 he concludes this complaint. He says, therefore, because of this violence, because of this uh, Strife and contention, because of this iniquity that's mentioned in verse 3, he says, Therefore the law is slacked, and judgment doth never go forth. For the wicked doth compass about the righteous, 
Therefore, wrong judgment proceedeth. He says, this is the situation we're in. Do we ever, can we identify with these conditions? Look at it again in verse 4. Therefore, the law is slacked. You ever talk about law being slacked? It certainly is nowadays, isn't it? And judgment doth never go forth. It seems like that there's not equal judgment. For the wicked doth compass about the righteous. They're more wicked than there are righteous, and they surround them. Therefore, wrong judgment proceedeth. It seems like the wicked have more advantage than the righteous. And we will get later on how that we'll see down verse 13, I believe, if you look down... Just glance down at verse 13. It goes in with this and we'll get to it again. It says, Thou art of pure eyes and to behold evil and canst not look on iniquity. Wherefore lookest thou upon them that deal treacherously and holdest thy tongue when the wicked devour the man that is more righteous than he? When the wicked devour the man that is more righteous than he? And he's using this to apply it to the wicked, the Chaldeans, Babylonians, the righteous Judah, more righteous than he, even though, though Judah had his faults, and the sins that Judah had committed were having to be chastened by the wicked nation, and yet it is displeasing in the mind of the prophet. So when you begin to look at verse 4 now, I mean verse 5 now, you'll see God's answer to all this complaint. This begins in verse 5, God's call for the prophet and the people to take their time and see what God is about to do about it, beginning with verse 5, and what God is about to do to their enemies among the nations who oppressed them for a full 70 years while they were in Babylon in captivity. And so God is going to show him why these things are as they are. So if you look at verse 5, it says, Behold ye among the heathen and regard, and wonder marvelously, for I will work a work in your days which you will not believe, though it be told you. And he was referring to these nations that he would raise up to chasten his own uh, loving people, the ones he loved and cared for. And he says, I'm going to do something that, that you will not even believe how I'm doing it, why I'm doing it, God says. You know, Paul quotes this over in the New Testament. And he says, I believe it's in the book of Acts, where he says, I will work a work in your day in which you will not believe. And uh, there he applies it to the, uh, the Gentiles, uh, how that the Jews that rejected and disbelieved the gospel, that he would turn the gospel to the Gentiles. And so it was a work that, that they could hardly understand why he would turn away from them. But he uses this scripture and applies it in a little different way and leaves the heathen nations. Uh, he doesn't apply it as, as does Habakkuk here. But he does apply it to the disbelief of the Jews of his day in the book of Acts and how that the gospel then would be given to the Gentiles. So now notice verse 5 again. And this, as I said, begins God... God's call for His prophet and the people to take their time to see what He was about to do and what uh, His enemies that had oppressed them would have to suffer for that full 70 years of captivity in in Babylon. So He says in verse 5, Behold ye among the heathen and regard and wonder marvelously, for I will work a work in your days which you will not believe, though it be told you. For lo, I, I raise up the Chaldeans 
that bitter and hasty nation. God says, I'm going to raise them up. And why? Which shall march through the breadth of the land to possess the dwelling places that are not theirs. They'll come in, take possession. And he tells the nature of these Chaldeans as they come through. He says, they are terrible and dreadful. Their judgment and their dignity shall proceed of themselves. And they're going to come, as in verse 8, notice what? They're going to come, their horses also also are swifter than leopards. This is the, uh, as horses in battle, they will come and invade. And are more fierce than the evening wolves. With all their fierceness, with all the swiftness, their horses are swifter than the leopards. They're more fierce than the evening wolves, and their horsemen shall spread themselves, and their horsemen shall come from far, and they shall fly as the eagle that hasteth to eat. So the destruction that they bring and the uh, problem that they bring in coming. Look in Jeremiah 25, verse 11 and 12. Jeremiah 25. Let's see if I can find it. Jeremiah 25, verse 11 and 12. This will be good for us to look at. 25, verse 11 and 12. And notice what he says here. And this whole land, this verse 11, shall be a desolation and an astonishment. And these nations shall serve the king of Babylon seventy years. And it shall come to pass when seventy years are accomplished that I will punish the king of Babylon. You see, God says... You know, he told Habakkuk, let's stop there, hold that place if you have it. He told Habakkuk that Judah deserved what was coming to them and would be chastened by the Chaldeans. And now he's saying that but the Babylonians will have their time too. And so in verse 12, Jeremiah 25 verse 12, It shall come to pass when 70 years are accomplished that I will punish the king of Babylon. And that nation saith the Lord for their iniquity and the land of the Chaldeans, and will make it perpetual desolations. So, God did not ignore the prayer and the words of Habakkuk, means to embrace with affections, and the burden of Habakkuk. He did not ignore that. And finally, it did happen according to the words of God, to Jeremiah as well as to Habakkuk, that he would uh, take care of the situation back in Habakkuk now, chapter 1. And we'll continue to, to describe the onslaught of these people. In verse uh, 9 it says, They shall come all for violence. Their faces shall sup up as the east wind, and they shall gather the captivity as the sand. And Israel's leaders, this is the way that leaders would be uh, Treated in verse 10. And they shall scoff at the kings and the princes shall be a scorn to them. They shall derid every stronghold for they shall heap dust and take it. They'll sweep over Israel. They'll capture the chief leaders with scoffing and with scorn. You know, sometimes we can read in history the things that have happened to Israel of old and how that there is repeated, repeated you know, they say history repeats itself, and it certainly does. And we're living in days now when things 
just come back around to where they were at one time in, in Bible history. And before the Lord comes in power and great glory, and during the tribulation, He comes back in power and great glory in chapter 19, but He comes for His own in chapter 4. And so we'll be out of here, thank God. But on the other hand, uh, when He comes back, before He comes back, that future Babylon will have to be treated in the same way because of their treatment of Israel. But Israel will have to go through the, the tribulation and they'll have to suffer the consequences just much like they did in history of old before the future trouble that they'll face. They faced it back there and they'll face it again in the book of Revelation. And we find that but God will give them divine protection throughout those years of Jacob's trouble and deliver them out of it finally. And then bring judgment upon that wicked Babylon of the future. Because there's coming one worse than ever they've seen in the Old Testament. And so, if you want to read into it, the things that will happen in the future, you have certainly the right to make the spiritual, the future application of it. Because here is only a sample of what is to be endured in the future. They're going to have these problems. They had these problems in the Old Testament. And they're also going to have them in the future. And even worse. So, it says in verse 10, They shall scoff at the kings, and the princes shall be scorned to them. They shall derid every stronghold, for they shall heap dust and take it. And then it says, Then shall his mind change, and he shall pass over and offend, imputing this his power unto his God. They will give their praise to their false gods of their victories and all that they've done. And now the Jehovah God will not stand for this kind of uh, exaltation of their false gods because God said, uh, Thou shalt have no other gods before me. And He meant that for the whole world, even the Chaldeans and the Babylonians as well as He meant it for uh, any people or nation. And so when they exalt their false gods, we'll find that God brings them down a notch. And they suffer the judgment that He has predicted that He will bring upon them. You see, God is equal and just. And He knows exactly what He's doing. When we get out of line, He can correct us. And when those others are more wicked than we, He's going to certainly not leave them without judgment. So, the Bible tells us that God is a God of judgment. He has set His throne in the heavens. His throne is a throne of judgment. And the Bible says... Because sentence against an evil work is not executed speedily. Therefore, the heart of the sons of men is fully set in them to do evil. We wonder why that people think that uh, they can get by with it. They say, well, God hasn't done anything yet. Doesn't mean He's not able to. It says He's long-suffering to us. We're not willing that what? Any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. And you know, God wants wicked evil, heathen nations to come to repentance as well as we, we think that He only wants those that are under, under the sound or title of Christendom or Christians. But He wants all people in the world. The little children sing Sunday morning as they stand up here in front of the pulpit. They sing, Jesus loves the little children. All the children of the world. Red and yellow, black and white. They are precious in His sight. Jesus loves the little children of the world. And He will save of any nation or people or tongue. And there's going to be that kind of people over there in the 
standing before the throne in the book of Revelation, says, Thou hast redeemed us to God out of every nation, kindred, people, every tongue, upon the face of the earth. Heaven's going to be full of praises uh, from all people that are upon this earth. And that's why there's an incentive for you and I to send out missionaries and to, to do as much as we can to see that to it that their needs are supplied and they have an opportunity to preach to people that we don't have an opportunity to here in the church. By the way, for Brother Rayleigh's benefit, this church from the very first day that was organized in 1959, it's been one that has put missionaries on the board and started out that way and we have supported them ever since. We haven't had millions of dollars to do it, but we certainly do what we can as far as a, a church this size is concerned. But anyway, uh, that's a matter of history. Let's go to this now. It says in verse 11, Then shall his mind change, and he shall pass over and offend, imputing this his power unto his God. And then in verse 12 it says, Art thou not from everlasting, O Lord my God, mine Holy One? Now here, Habakkuk's complaint of God's use of this wicked nation begins. We have another complaint. And then from chapter 1, verse 12, right here, beginning with verse 12, we have his complaint registered because of God's use of this wicked nation. And then we'll have Jehovah's reply to that fact that Chaldea would also be judged. His reply is going to show that Chaldea would also be judged. And that takes us to all the way through the second chapter. So a division begins right here with 1 verse 12 and it takes us through the second chapter completely. We probably won't get that far, but we just go as far as we're able to go. But keep it in mind that here he begins to register a second complaint. And then God gives him a second answer. You know, sometimes when we complain, we wonder why God doesn't answer. God will answer in due time. And the first thing that he said, he says, How is it, God, you will I cry out? Listen, in verse 2, O Lord, how long shall I cry and thou wilt not hear? He wonders why God wouldn't hear. God hears. Just give him the time to answer. In the proper time, he will hear. He will answer, rather, our complaints. So when you come to chapter 1, verse 12, he begins to register another complaint about God using this wicked nation. First, he was complaining about the burden upon Judah. Now he's complaining about God using this wicked nation. And he's going to say that they're more wicked than we are. You know, it's not good to compare another one's wickedness to our own wickedness. Just because someone else is more evil than we are doesn't mean that we don't have to answer for where we stand. And that's what, you know, Paul says a man that compares himself to another man is is a fool, isn't he? And... uh, you know, you have Christian people doing that. They say, well, I'm not as bad as so-and-so. Well, maybe you're not, but how good really are you? And what do you do? And so that's the standpoint of reasoning that we need to come from. So let's pick up with verse 12 and get these two things in mind again. And it carries us uh, through chapter 2, verse 20. And meanwhile, when we get into chapter 2, we'll find something else. And that is that text that we gave you in 2, verse 4. The just shall live by faith. But let's look at 1 verse 12. Art thou not from everlasting, O Lord my God? Now, see, Habakkuk begins to praise God for his uh, 
eternal being from everlasting. He recognized God to be holy. Mine, mine holy one. Look at that. We, we shall not die. In the midst of all this problem, he believes in security, doesn't he? You know, in the midst of all you and I face, can we still believe in, in uh, eternal security? I believe we can. We'll go through a lot of things. Someone said, well, you know, when you do this or that, you're going to be lost and go to hell. No, you're not. If you're God's child, you're saved. And you're saved for eternity. And I believe that, uh, that what we teach about eternal security of the believer is biblical and scriptural. Jesus said, My sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and I give unto them eternal life, and they shall never perish. The word there is a double negative. Never, no, not at all. Not under any circumstances. Perish. And so we find that they shall never perish. He said, Neither shall any man pluck them out of my hand. And he said, My Father which gave them me is greater than all, and no one is able to pluck them out of my Father's hand. When you get on that passage of Scripture in John 10, beginning with verse 27, you'll find that someone says, well, no man can do it, but you can do it. The word man is in italics in the King James Bible. And that means that it's not in the original. And you know what that means? That means simply no one, no power, including our own, shall pluck us out of the Father's hand. And if you'll read that, you'll find it all the way through the word man. And that means that the translators put in the word man. Neither shall any man, neither shall any demon, neither shall any one, neither shall any power pluck us out of the Father's hand. And so when you study that out, it would be well to take in advice what's written there in italicized letters. Sometimes the translators helped out a little bit, and sometimes it uh, may be taken away from it, and sometimes it didn't explain it as they may have thought that adding a word would, would help. But nevertheless, they were honest translators. That's why I use a King James Bible. Amen. That's why you ought to use one. Amen. Someone says, too hard to understand. Not if you dig into it. Right. You dig into God's Word, and some of the things need to be studied. That's why they're like they are. And uh, the Bible says, study to show thyself approved unto God, a workman that needeth not to be ashamed, Rightly dividing the word of truth. So let's get back to this now. In verse uh, uh, 12, Habakkuk 1.12, Art thou not from everlasting, O Lord my God, mine holy one? And he's asking the question. Then he says, We shall not die. There's the security. O Lord, thou hast ordained them for judgment. See, he begins to turn around. Who? He begins to turn around and say, Well, you know, God... I understand now, it's not just us. We've endured some things. Israel and Judah, especially Judah. But he says, Thou hast ordained them for judgment. And, and Almighty God, Thou hast established them for correction. You know, if you study Psalm 73, this will give you the same idea that we're getting here. The psalmist says, You know, when I saw the prosperity of the wicked... My feet were on slippery ground. My feet almost slipped out from under me. I was envious at the foolish and the and uh, the prosperity of the wicked. And he goes on. And down in the middle of the chapter, Psalm 73, I believe it's verse 17. He says, until, listen carefully, until I went into the sanctuary of God. See, he was all puzzled and worried and disturbed about how the wicked were prospering and how he was suffering and how he was chastened all the day long. 
You'll find some of that in the context. And then he turns around and says, until I went into the sanctuary of God, then understood I their end. See that? Their end. And he says, you did set them in slippery places. They're the ones that's going to suffer. And you're going to judge them. You see, sometimes we get our eyes all in the wrong direction. We think, look here, this wicked man's prospering and going on and he's going to just go on through life and enjoy all the good things and, and I'm suffering and chastening, chastened all the day long. He mentions that in that chapter if you still have it open. Psalm 73. And he mentioned how he suffered and God's children suffered. And then he turns around and he says, when I went in God's presence... I begin to understand therein what's going to happen to them. Let's look here at Habakkuk. 1 verse 13. No, verse 12. In the middle of the verse. Thou hast ordained them for judgment. See? He begins to see some things. You know, the more we see God as He is, the more we see ourselves and see others as they are. And it says... Thou hast ordained them for judgment, and, O mighty God, thou hast established them for correction. Now look at verse 13. Thou art pure eyes unto behold evil, and canst not look on iniquity. It says, God, I know you can't stand what they are and what they are, uh, are doing. Wherefore lookest thou upon them that deal treacherously, and holdest thy tongue when the wicked devour the man that is more righteous than he, he states his complaint again, and makest men as the fishes of the sea. As the creeping things that have no ruler over them, they take up all of them with the angle. He's telling how that they were taken into captivity. It's like you'd catch fish in a net. The Chaldeans had taken God's people in, you know, by uh, groves, by multitudes. They take them, uh, take up all of them with the angle. Verse 15, they catch them in their net and gather them in their drag. Therefore, they rejoice and are glad. Therefore, they sacrifice unto their, unto their net and burn incense into their drag, because by them their portion is fat and their meat plenteous. Shall they therefore empty their net and not spare continually to slay the nations? They're going to continue on doing all this? And then... Habakkuk in chapter 2 verse 1 says, I will stand upon my watch and set me upon the tower. He doesn't mean literally that he'll, but he'll be a watchman. He used the figure of setting him upon a watch and upon the tower. But he's really saying in, a, in the same words that I'm going to watch uh, what God is doing with the people and what he's doing with this nation and see what's going to happen. And we'll watch to see what he... He will say unto me, and what I shall answer when I am reproved. And the Lord answered, look at 2 verse 2. The Lord answered me and said, Write the vision and make it plain upon tables that he may run that readeth it. There have been all kinds of interpretations of this verse. He's going to make, he wants, first of all, he wants his word to be plain. And it should be plain. Some have used this to say that you might read it on the run. That's probably not the exact meaning. It probably means that you may run that readeth it. You may read it and then understand what you're, uh, what you're to do in relation to God's Word and God's vision. But we do know God's Word, it needs to be plain. He says, make it plain. Now verse 3 says, For the vision is yet for an appointed time, but at the end it shall speak and not lie. Though it tarry, wait for it. God's in no hurry. And by the way, this is used in the New Testament too. And it speaks, though he tarry, 
Christ tarries, wait for him. Though he tarry, uh, though it tarry, wait for it, because it will surely come, it will not tarry. Verse 4 says, Behold, his soul which is lifted up is not right in him, but the just shall live by faith. Now, we got down to that verse. Let me give you that. We won't have time to continue beyond this, but we certainly want to include this. What we're saying is we won't have time to continue with all that God is going to do in, in Habakkuk's prophecy in the Old Testament uh, and how He is going to uh, reply how that uh, Chaldea would be judged because the rest of the second chapter will take it up. But this verse is especially worth our attention. We said that the Apostle Paul, but the just shall live by faith, he used this three times. And I want you to turn to these three references and we'll probably conclude with those in our whole lesson. Romans chapter 1, verse 17. Galatians 3.11. You ought to write these down. And uh, Hebrews 10.38. Romans 1.17. Galatians 3.11. And Hebrews 10.38. Now let's look at them quickly. Romans chapter 1 and verse 17. And you see what it's talking about. It says here, For therein is righteous the righteousness of God revealed from faith to faith, as it is written, the just shall live by faith. Now, if you notice the context, it's talking about the gospel is the power of God unto salvation. Verse 16, you see that? And that we're, we're righteous through, through the power of the gospel, that we're justified. So it says, the just shall live by faith. He's teaching us to live by faith, but the emphasis is upon the word just. The just shall live by faith. Now turn to Galatians chapter 3, if you will. And we're talking about people living and how they live. Do they live by the law or do they live by grace? Galatians 3. Now pick it up with verse... Uh, 10. It's verse 11. We want to pinpoint, but we must read verse 10. Galatians 3, verse 10. We'll read verse 11. But you need this connection to show us emphasizing the thought of living, not by law, but by grace. It says, For as many as are of the works of the law are under the curse. For it is written, Cursed is everyone that continueth not in, the, in all things which are in the book of the law to do them. So to live by the law, you have to do everything that the law commands, if you're going to live by the law. But now look, but that no man is justified by the law in the sight of God, it is evident, for the, for the just shall live, put the word, the emphasis here, on live, on live. They shall live by faith. They're not going to live by the law, live by faith. So you see, he's already quoted twice from the book of Habakkuk 2.4. And the third time, he emphasizes by faith because you're going to see in Hebrews 10 verse 38, and this is about all we have time for, Hebrews 10 verse 38, he's talking about faith here in Hebrews 10. Let's drop back uh, to verse 36, but it's verse 38 we want to emphasize. And it's the faith of those that believe. It says, Verse 36, you have Hebrews 10, verse 36, it says, For you have need of patience, that after you have done the will of God, you might receive the promise. So you have to have faith, don't you? 
For yet a little while, and he that shall come will come. Isn't that what we found? Isn't this quoting from what we said? It shall come, he shall come. Remember in Habakkuk? So he's really implying two different verses back in the book of Habakkuk. For yet a little while, and he that shall come will come and will not tarry. Remember, Habakkuk said, it will come and will not tarry. Here it says, he shall come. Now look in verse 38. Now the just shall live by faith. If any man draw back, my soul shall have no pleasure in him. But we are not of them who draw back into uh, perdition, but of them which believe. What's the word believe? Faith to the saving of the soul. In other words, the, the child of God shall have faith unto the end. So it's faith. Uh, it is written, the just shall live by faith. And here the word faith is emphasized. Believe. And will not draw back. And it would be well if you just take that Habakkuk chapter 2 and verse 4 and get these three verses of Scripture and study them out thoroughly and you'll see that the first emphasis, Romans 1.17, is upon the just. Because it tells us how we're justified by faith in the, by the gospel. The second one tells us how we live, not under the law. And the, te- the third one tells us that it's by faith that we'll have even to the end. We're not of those that draw back to perdition, but of those that believe to the saving of the soul. Romans 1.17, Galatians 3.11, Hebrews 10.38. And study those three. The only three times that this verse is quoted in the New Testament and by the way, we said earlier that this is the theme and the uh, cry of Luther when he came out and the Reformation took place. Uh, the just shall live by faith. And he thought, what am I doing crawling these stairs upon my knees till they're bleeding because I'm saved by grace through faith? What a wonderful thought. As Brother Curtis saying tonight, amazing grace. And Brother Mike, the old rugged cross, and all of it ties together, doesn't it? Okay, thank you for your patience and your kind attention. We'll pick up in that portion of Scripture where we left off.